on the Empire Podcast this week, Andy Circus, the legend of Mowgli, legend of the jungle, drops by for another chat. All that and more on the movie podcast that is still in with the hope of hosting this year's Oscars. All we need to do now is make sure we delete those old tweets, giving Attack of the Clones five stars. Oh, quick to the delete machine. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. And you know, Christmas is just around the corner, so I've been trying to come up with present ideas for them. Uh, for our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. I've got you some Hamilton tickets. Oh, that's exciting. Really exciting. They're playing Hibs tomorrow at 3pm. Um, Knock yourself out. It's going to be amazing. That's not what I was hoping for. Thanks, Chris. This is great. It's nearly as good as the socks I got last year. <laughs> for our resident Grinch, James Dyer. <laughs> I've got him a gift that will bring him joy. The greatest Christmas movie of them all. Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Thanks, Chris. Enjoy. I, I, I appreciate that. Enjoy the wacky antics of Marvin the Janitor. I like Marvin the Janitor. Not as much as I... I don't uh... like Marvin the Janitor. <laughs> He's one of the worst movie characters oh, of all time. Oh, you're very, oh. very He's basically, if someone took the granddad from Blue Bloods and just plopped him into a movie, he's just annoying, he's no just, one, he has no function. No one knows who the granddad from Blue Bloods is uh, except you. I mean, I, think, I do, I do. I think, I, I Helen, really I think. He's also, he's also in Bumblebee. Oh, really? Yeah, he makes an appearance in Bumblebee. Okay. He does, Not yeah. that I've seen Bumblebee, because it's embargoed till Sunday. Sure. But, um, <laughs> but if you had. But if I had, then I'd say that maybe he was in it. But, um, but you, you know he's in because on the IMDb. Well, there so you go. that's where if you got your information That's how from. I knew. So, so um, if, if I were on IMDb, he'd be, the, he'd be the guy in the garage thing. That's right, okay. yes, at the yeah. junkyard. Um, we are talking, of course, about Len Carriou, who, uh, <laughs> who plays uh, Henry Reagan, the... the what do you call, is he the patriarch? I guess yes. he is because he's the oldest one. He's the patriarch of the Reagans uh, on Blue Bloods, the greatest cop show on television. It's dreadful. It's not dreadful. The things you watch, it's not honestly. Dreadful. I'll tell you this. Oh, sorry, that I show forgot. wouldn't make it onto the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, and sorry. that is a recommendation. <laughs> and by the way, I'm cutting that bit out. And <laughs> can I just say, your, your abuse of Marvin, I get it. Like He's not the best thing, it's obviously, awful. in Die Hard. And that would be, of course, William Sadler's Chisel Dabblers. <laughs> Not to mention his shapely glutes. Don't you mean Sadler's Wells? Oh, oh, yes. Very much so. Good, good like that. That was almost like a Mortal Engines gag. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I want to take that back. Because there's a town called Tunbridge Wheels. Tunbridge Wheels. Yeah. Although, right, okay. although, and again, oh, no, I can because Embargo's lift on that. Tunbridge Wheels, the awesome pun, doesn't make the fucking final cut of the film. Although they do mention Chipping Sodbury. So, you know, there's that. Wow. Thanks, oh. James. That was an unnecessary F-bomb. <laughs> We're meant to be like more Christmassy and elf-like. It's yeah, a festive F-bomb. Oh, um, if you remember the Christmas episode of Supernatural, you should replace fuck with fudge. So it should be Fork, Helen, that. it's fork. No. Holy mother-forking fork Literally, I, I set my terms of reference as Supernatural, and then you went straight <laughs> to the good place. Yeah, yeah. Like... You can't just, like, that just doesn't the make sense. The good place sense. is my jam. Okay, but that's not a Christmas episode. I was being Christmassy. She was. You were. Thanks. Len Cariou, uh plays Henry Reagan on Blue Bloods. Great. Uh, he, he are we plays, still on Blue Bloods? Yes, we are. Uh, he plays the father. This is my own spin-off. This is my rival to the, what's it called? Pilot Pilot TV podcast? Yeah, yes, the uh, world's yeah. premier TV podcast. You'll find. Which is goes it? out every Monday. Is it? Mm. Is it? Is it, yeah, it is. It is. How's Keith these days? Good, good, good. Yeah, good? He's, he's, okay. he's enjoying it a lot, I find. That's good. I'm glad someone is. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> Len Cariou. <laughs> Len Cariou plays Henry Reagan, okay? He is the father of Tom Selleck's character, Frank Reagan. Good Lord. Len so Cariou is mm-hmm. just six years older than Tom uh, Selleck. That is, that is a truly 
Hollywood woman to Hollywood man ratio there. <laughs> that is, that's worse than Angelina Jolie and Colin Farrell. No, it's not. Or my favourite mm. uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Anna Kendrick and Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> we'll be getting on to something like this later on. Oh, we'll be God. talking about something like this later on that's going to set your little alarm bells ringing, Helen O'Hara. I can, I can see you getting your soapbox out I already. start building steam now so it can <laughs> pop up my ears later. All right, okay. So anyway, so we're, uh, we're talking about Christmas presents and that actually pertains to this week's question which comes from podcast question asker regular Carl Jackson at Carl from Wolves. And he asks, what film-related Christmas presents would you like to receive from Santa this year? Now, I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Well, there's a terrifying prospect. Dear Santa, for Christmas this year, I would like James to not have a machine gun. I would like world peace. Which is, of course, Christmas rela- uh, film-related because with, your, of with the United States government, Helen, we don't do that sort of thing. Miscongeniality. It's film-related. It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I, can I have props for my sneakers reference, please? I mean... It was, it was pretty good. It was all right. I don't sound like James L. Jones, I'll give you that, but, you know, still. Nobody sounds like James L. Jones. Except James L. Jones. That's why he's the only, you know... Re- yeah, exactly, returning cast member of The Lion King. Yeah. Because mm. there was only one. Mm-hmm. There can be only one. And that is correct. Oh, God, what's happening? I don't Anywho, know. So, so what, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I was hearing yesterday that if you have the Muppet Christmas Carol Blu-ray um, and you press pause during the film... Presumably it'll balls. stop. Wonderful things happen. You can't see anybody's balls that I'm aware of. Wonderful things happen in that the film stops playing. Is this what you're saying? Wonderful things happen in that there's a little carol break from the Swedish chef. What? Apparently. I was told this on Twitter by a person I completely trust, i.e. someone, and uh, (laughs) I intend to find out immediately. So if you pause it, it doesn't pause. It just makes more noise. It makes different noise. It pauses the film. Huh. So anyway, I intend to, if you have them up at Christmas Carol, please tell me if that is true or not. But I do have I them up at Christmas Carol. On, on Blu-ray, Blu-ray yeah. or DVD. But I have the, I have the American version because it's, it's multi-region. So it should work for me. We'll have to find out. Hmm, that's interesting. I will, I will check it out. Jimbo, what do you want? I, we've not already covered this. I'm absolutely serious. I would like a machine gun. Uh, no. If I can't have that, what would I you like? You can't have that. Really? Film related. Also, that's not, that's not film related. I mean, it's literally from a film. It's from many films. Yeah, but specifically from Die Hard. Now, what would I like? If I could have... uh, There's a a very lovely 20th anniversary Big Lebowski bowling bag box set, which I believe is a Zavi exclusive. Uh, That's quite nice. It comes with a little little rug in it, a little little bowling ball, and obviously the 4K... Of the uh, of the film, so that's quite exciting. So it ties the whole room together. It ties the whole room together. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind one of those if someone wants to send me one. It was great alliteration um, there as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what else do I want? There's oh god, it's very difficult, very very hard. Mm. I think that that would that would be up there definitely. Oh, there's a there's a very very nice uh, 4K Nolan box set as well, uh, which has the uh, the Batman films, Interstellar, Inception. No. Uh, Prestige and Dunkirk in it, all no. in 4K. Yeah. Now, on 4K... <laughs> <laughs> on yeah, 4K Helen won't fight them on the beaches. We we bought my little brother... Uh, oh, I can't say this, he listens to the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> forget I said anything, cut that out. You mean Santa got your, your little brother something? I can't even say, I can't even talk about it. Sorry, really? Colin, we just got you with Cole, as usual. Colin, stop listening to the podcast for the next 35 seconds. This is now a Christmas spoiler special, <laughs> yeah. specifically for Colm. We have 25 seconds left. Okay, I got him the fifth element on 4K Blu-ray. It's incredibly expensive. Have you any idea how much that costs? 30 it's pounds. Mad. More than 30 pounds. You're kidding me. A multi-pass. More than 30 pounds. <laughs> it's more than a multi-pass. It's more than a Lilo Dallas multi Supreme being. <laughs> me protect you. Colm, you can start listening again. 
Uh, wow, that's incredible. What a great present. What, a, what an incredible sister you must be. Thank you. I, I mean, I like you're a mug. So. They saw you coming. Well, yeah. pretty much. You probably could have bought the Nolan box after I'll be that. honest, I actually got my other sister to buy it for him. But that's not the point. The point is we buy these things together. Wow. And, and he you just spoiled Christmas twice. Extremely, extremely expensive. Yeah. I have bought many people in my life a subscription to the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> so generous. But that's free, Chris. It's free for all. We give it away like love. I know, James. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what film-related stuff I want for Christmas. You have all of the film-related stuff. I, I've I seen do, your study. I do have quite a lot of film-related stuff. I would quite like to expand my collection of Funko Pops, mm. but they're quite expensive. Do you know what I'd actually quite like? Mm. Is a Castiel for the top of my tree. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't we all? Okay, okay. <laughs> I have a, a follow-up question. Okay. Which is, taking this on a tangent, just because you mentioned trees, what are the three geekiest things you have on your Christmas tree? And I know <laughs> Helen's going to win this, so I'm kind of setting her up for this, but come on, let's do it. Yeah, do you want to go I, first? I don't have any anything points? on my Christmas tree at this moment. Uh, we are redesigning our Christmas tree, redecorating it this weekend, because uh. the first attempt was very, very good, but we need more. And I have to say... If I'm going to get in my soapbox for a second, I'm really disappointed by the lack of geeky baubles and decorations that are out there. Perhaps You're you can point me in the right direction. Yeah. I, want, I want a really good set of Marvel baubles. I mean, uh, some might argue you already have them. <laughs> I mean, don't, who, who amongst us here doesn't want to just fondle a pair of Chris Hemsworth baubles just under the tree of an evening? <laughs> what? Um, I'd I like guess. a Mjolnir bauble. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, like I, actually, I actually would like some proper... Marvel baubles as well. I would like a shield. Because shield. there are Marvel baubles available on Amazon and other online websites, but they're about rubs. Yeah. And you, I, you know, it just strikes me that there's a there's a missed opportunity there. There's, there are many missed opportunities in terms of movie marketing. I've talked obviously about the lack of Fantastic Beasts coats. Um, I also think <laughs> I would, I would, yes, yes, Dumbledore's I mean, coat. Yeah. On your tree, that just seems no, silly. No, not on the tree, but like generally. Anyway, um, and also I want an on your left running t-shirt and I can't find one. But what <laughs> what do you have on your tree, tell, okay. Helen, tell us? So I do have Pinky and the Brain dressed up as Santa. Um, I obviously have a TARDIS. I mean, I think everybody has a TARDIS, don't, don't they? Don't have a TARDIS. No, obvious. And um, in terms of geeking, oh, and we also have um, a Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw bauble each for me and my sister. Solid. I love the way that you've consigned your sister to Hufflepuff. No, she consigned herself... That's tragic. No, they, they are proud Hufflepuffs, these people. They, they are prou- a the proud Duffers. people. They are a proud a people. A proud but simple folk. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so those are the geekiest things. But then I just have all the normal, you know, baubles, like a, a, a pirate ship, a mermaid, a narwhal, a blue whale. Um, mm. Santa a, being a badger, shot out of a cannon. Santa being shot out of a cannon, a badger wearing a jumper, a, an Oxford student, uh, Shakespeare, obviously. I mean, mm. just, just the normal... Christmas things. That's pretty good. I've got Long Claw from Game of Thrones hanging from a bauble. I've got a bell with the Hogwarts coat of arms on it. Uh, I have never one tickle a sleeping dragon. With uh, is that what it says? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I've got one which has strobe lights and the Empire logo on it. I quite like that one. Ooh. Sorry, what? Like our logo or like? No, no. Literally, I mean, it's someone's hand drawn it. It's not like it's professionally made, but someone sent it into the office one year. Really? Uh, yeah, which I quite like. Amazing. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. I've got Ferdinand the Bull from uh, from Ferdinand. The John Cena film Ferdinand. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I've got a shit ton of... Um, I've got a BB-8, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also got like a load, and I mean a load, like about 40 Star Wars baubles. So I only ever put on a few on. 
each year, like the Death Star one, obviously, because it's round, it makes sense. I tend to put up Kylo Ren, Stormtrooper, Princess Leia, maybe an R2-D2. I scatter them around, and then next year, maybe I'll bring out Jabba, the Snowtrooper, and Wicket. But, you know, I cycle them, because otherwise the entire tree would be dominated mm. by Star Wars characters, and who needs that? Uh, you yeah. do. I do, do. I do think I need some more geeky ones, if I'm honest. I don't feel like I've got enough. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people have been sending us uh, in the wake of our Is Die Hard a Christmas special podcast, uh, which is still available. Obviously. Yes, it is, Helen. I didn't say it wasn't. This you, is the you, great you myth. You tutted. I have never said it wasn't. Then why did you tut, Helen? She just I've finds tutted. us tedious. That's why she's tutting. Super <laughs> tedious. It's the most boring conversation. In fairness, and for people who've been put off from listening to that podcast because it's a tedious conversation, we address that point in like the first five minutes and then move on to other things. Uh, to much more tedious things. To much more tedious <laughs> Die Hard things. Yeah. But yeah, people have been sending me pictures of that uh, John McClane Plane in the air vent bauble that oh, I think you can that make that yourself. Amazing, That's yeah. very, very clever. But yeah, make more film-related baubles, guys, yeah. uh, and uh, maybe we'll stick them on our tree. And there is a great shop on Etsy that I, no, I won't be able to find that does cr- uh, classic Christmas baubles, uh, and those are great. So there's one that says, obviously, every time a bell rings. Um, but they also have you know um, Christmas wells with Orson Welles' face on them and that kind of thing. Super good. That is super, super good. Um, just taking a quick look at the, at the stuff I put down on my Christmas list. The only... Okay, there's two two vaguely movie-related things that I would like for Christmas. One is the Chewbacca Nerf Bowcaster. <laughs> <laughs> I want my too now. Which is incredible. Yep. And uh, yeah, I've put it on my Christmas list uh, and shown it to my wife for the last three years. And each time she's gone, ah, that's nice, and then ignored it completely. Oh. Uh, thinking I'm not serious. I am deadly serious. Uh, I'd obviously like some Lego Star Wars stuff. There's a the Lego Porg is lovely. Yeah. Mm. Goes down great with some roasties yeah. and some Brussels sprouts. Uh, but the other thing I would like, uh, I'm always looking to put new artwork on my walls. And someone recently alerted me to the existence of, so Columbo, here we go. Columbo, <sighs> uh, some Columbo episodes in the 1970s were repackaged for Italian cinema because they're featured length. So they were released theatrically in Italy. And they all have, there's like four or five of these episodes, and they have Italian posters, which are super, super fucking cool mm-hmm. uh, and really rare and really expensive. Uh, so, uh, you know, if if Sante were to put one of those under my tree, fully framed, of course. <laughs> With a Habitat Bacall frame. <laughs> With a really big bow. And I'd also like gold wrapping paper, not silver. And a pony. <laughs> yes, I want that. That's all I want. That's all I want. Christmas is sorted. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast... To your satisfaction, as Carl from Wolves has just found, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast, which chances are we won't see it. You can Facebook us as Emperor Magazine, and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. And OMG, I forgot the best Christmas present of them all. Us. Us. <laughs> Tickets have gone on sale this week, oh. this very day, in fact, for our 350th episode. For our 350th episode, we are recording it live once again at King's Place in London. And yes, I know for people who live around the country that it's London, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm not ruling anything out. We would love to take the podcast around the country, but for the time being, it's London. 350th episode, February 6th, 7 o'clock, King's Place. It's a Wednesday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Do come along. We're going to have spot prizes, guests, four giggling idiots, it's going to be amazing. Tickets are on sale now. They make a great Christmas present. Great Christmas present. For friends or enemies. So <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, I think I'm busy that night. 
Yeah, so am I. James, you're... Oh, no, that would be a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> I know what you were going to say. He would turn it into some sort of weird pilot TV yeah, podcast. talking about the telly. Keith would come on. He'd have a real... Are you, gonna do a, you should do a live pilot TV podcast what? at the exact same time. In Just Keith's you and living Keith room. in a broom cupboard. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, should we get on to news? Let's, Let's get on. do it. In fact, let's have a guest. Oh. Uh, yeah, because we've got two guests this week. We might as well have a guest. Who should we have? I don't know. Should we have Andy Circus? We like Andy Circus, don't <gasps> yeah, we? Yeah, we do. We love He's him. He's fantastic. Brilliant actor. He's been in, you've seen him and then mostly not seen him in the likes of, well, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Hobbit trilogy, some Star Wars movies, some Marvel movies. What else has he been in? Apes. Apes. Those Apes films where he played King Ape. Mm. Caesar. That's him. Uh, Caesar. Yeah. Little Caesar. Caesar's a lad, isn't he? <laughs> is, is he? <laughs> James got that. Caesar salad. Oh, I see. Okay. Wow, that was yeah. laboured. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Anyway, uh, he's amazing. Uh, as an actor, he is now turning his hand to directing. Breathe, his directorial debut came out uh, a couple of years ago. Interesting enough, that wasn't meant to be his directorial debut. Mowgli was meant to be his directorial debut. Uh, it is out this week. It is out today, in fact, on Netflix. Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, a new version of Rudyard Kipling's, nailed it first time, The Jungle Book. With an all-star cast playing lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Uh, so this has had a bit of a, a torturous route to the, to the big, or indeed small screen, and we spoke about that at great length. And you interview. spoke to him? Yes, I did So you literally ran off to join the circus? Oh no. Here I am talking to Andy Circus. Do please enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the director and star of Mowgli, <laughs> Legend of the Jungle, legend himself, Andy Circus. Thank you very much. How are you, sir? I'm very well, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I've just been faffing around with the microphone and the headphones, and, and I forgot I plugged. I didn't plug my headphone into the recorder. But you should have people to do this for you, quite frankly. Do you think I should? I do. I was just going to wonder. Do you? I was just wondering. Did, did you ever encounter incompetence like this before in your career? <laughs> Never, actually. It was quite amusing. Like <laughs> nothing like this ever happened on the set of Mowgli. Oh, good God, no. Never. <laughs> if it had, what would you have done as director? Do you? Are you? A, 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 oh, I'm a big baller. Shout and really mean. In fact, I just turned. Into Baloo. That's <laughs> no, so not true. No, I'm doing myself down slightly. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> That's not cultivate. This is your second film as a director. Let's not cultivate a reputation as a screamer or a firer. Let's not do that. Uh, what sort of director are you? I've never been on an anti circus set. Um, what do you like? I like to think I create a very pleasant working atmosphere. And no, I like, look, I, I think it's really important to ensure that everyone feels like they're contributing 150% and including them in the story. And I, I think that's, you know, if you can get everyone to really love and be passionate about the story you're trying to tell that's that's how that's what it's all about it comes from the top and you have to establish that, that ethos that working atmosphere and 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 actually actively share the story yeah you know. so is, is that with everybody like you know do you, yeah, do you, as much as possible i mean for instance i'll give you an example um even even on the visual effects side, yeah. when, when we did, because the process of shooting this was we had our wonderful A-list cast come and be, uh, you know, all the characters that they were playing, uh, acting opposite. Uh, acting opposite Rowan Chand, Mowgli, brilliant, um, mm. uh, for for a few weeks at the beginning, and then we edited uh, that whole thing, and we basically had an edited version of the movie with the raw performances, mm. and then we showed that to. Um, and then I wanted to show that whole movie to to the visual effects department, the whole all of the animators who were going to be working on the movie. And 
and apparently well it, it's just not done like that you don't you don't share that information you know so so an, animators are just used to getting sort of six the 16 frames they're going to be working on or yeah. whatever it is 20 so it's like why wouldn't you do that why wouldn't you why wouldn't you share the story um we're all storytellers so but this this is a film i mean i, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that there may even been a point a few months ago where you weren't entirely sure you would be sitting here that this film was in limbo a, a little bit i guess or uh, well, I, no, because I thought uh, originally I, I knew I'd be sitting somewhere else uh, with. Uh, <laughs> you knew because it was somewhere. originally. It, I, I knew I was going to be sitting somewhere because Warner's were going to release it, uh, you know, originally, and uh, so it, it was slated for an October the nineteenth release at that okay. time, and it was then in July. I we'd already been to. In fact, we'd been to Cine com in las vegas we'd been and we'd started promoting it under the warner banner we then went to uh cine europe we 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 went to barcelona and again started the process there and then literally on the on the on the um the last day i was working on it which was sort of doing a mix for the dolby vision version of this um i got a call saying oh andy the studio want to talk about the release of the movie and um and it was with toby emmerich who was a very good friend of mine and, and, you know, we've worked together for many years on the Lord of the Rings and yeah. the Hobbit trilogy. And actually the film took our version uh, of uh, the, this story took a really major upturn when he came back to run Warner Brothers because he said, Andy, I want you to finish the film that you, that you started making without any sort of, without being blocked. I want it to be your film. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that, so that was, that was great. But anyway, he's, he, he said, we've been screening it for, uh, for Netflix and they absolutely love the movie. And yeah. They, they want to acquire it and we think this could be a win-win situation which I totally believe is yeah. the case so um, so, it, so it became you know it became a Netflix acquisition and they have been extraordinary and you know fulfilled their promise to to give it a theatrical release um one thing i was very uh, concerned about was the fact that the, the 3d version of this movie is actually i think the best version of this movie yes so i really okay. wanted it to be to you know to for it to be seen like that but from where from what i can see and and all and also the other thing is that this film was never ever going to be a full four quadrant kind of family popcorn movie. No, it's a, it's a much darker film than I think people might be expecting. Yeah, and and so it, it was the international release of it was I think what was it, everybody was excited when it wasn't born as the international release of it people were, but the American kind of domestic box office I think were a little bit scared of it in a way. So I always imagined that this film would start off doing like maybe uh, we talked about going, going to festivals going to Cannes or Venice or you know and sort of in the same way that Life of Pi sort of sort yeah. of found its yeah. way into you know it was there was probably a good comparison in a sense in terms of how to message and market this film but um, anyway the the point being that, that Netflix have got this have got that global reach and 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 the, you know as evidenced by the fact we we did our world premiere in Mumbai which was which was just brilliant because it meant that we could we could share the film with you know from the, in the country that it originated from did, but did it take you a little while to 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 come to that understanding that this is a win-win thing that when this movie opens on Friday it's not a question of John and Jane popcorn Deciding, oh, what are we going to see tonight? Let's go to the cinema. Let's hire a babysitter. Let's let's go there. We'll pay fifteen quid each for a ticket. We'll get some popcorn. That'll bring it up to fifteen quid. Let's stick on Netflix. Oh, what's on Mowgli? Let's let's watch Mowgli. Absolutely. I mean that that suddenly your your film is in front of millions of eyeballs at yeah, the same time. 
Yeah. No, so I mean, and that's thrilling. I mean, that, and that at the end of the day is is really all I really care about is that people see this version. People see a version that I don't think they will have ever seen before. Mm. Um, it's it's wildly different to anything that's gone before. And uh, no songs, no songs, <laughs> no no dancing animals, no you know, no King Louis eating bananas and yeah. squeezing bananas out of his toes. You know, it's it's like this is this is a, a version which goes back to the source material, goes back to Rudyard Kipling's book, and is a and actually, unlike other adaptations, focuses on its main character, Mowgli. Um, mm. Sometimes Mowgli in the other versions tends to fare not so well because because you do spend so much time on the antics of all of the animals and and and, and all of the the capering uh, that that actually you almost forget that it is a, a, a very emotional. Um, an important journey of, of self-discovery of, of this of this character that that is other or believes himself to be of one um, family and actually isn't and mm-hmm. finds himself stuck between two two very conflicting um, changing worlds the worlds of animal and the worlds of man the world mm-hmm. of man yeah 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 so it's so it's and in the book that is very very clear and we wanted to go back to the tone of that book and, and there is you know the jungle is a very beautiful place in in the book but it's also a place of savagery too and that mm. and that can't be denied and so so that so I'm I'm really I'm just really thrilled that we have been able to fulfil what we set out to do and and actually there isn't a single thing that I would change about this movie. Um, from from you know from the ambition at the beginning that yeah. we we actually got back to where we wanted it to be. I mentioned that it is uh, I think a darker film than people who might hear the word Mowgli and they might hear the words The Jungle Book. Uh, they might expect yeah. there is bloodshed in this movie. Yeah, there is darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the some of the sequences are very intense. Yeah, that's something that clearly you were committed to. Um, was that just so, as you say, you could set it apart from the, the previous iterations of this, this story? Or was that something that, that you wanted to bring from a, a personal point of view? No, it's what's in the book. I mean, it's, it's, it, the book is a very, very, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of uncompromising in a way. It doesn't apologize for itself and it doesn't have that sort of 21st century PC sensibility of having to, you know, we we just didn't want to wink at the audience and say, hey, you know what, it's all all right, it's all okay. This is this is a true, feels like a truly grounded emotional story that um, that that has real consequence and 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 real jeopardy for Mowgli. And he doesn't just sort of brush himself off and sing a song or get a ride on the back of a whatever. You know, it's it's like it's like he he's he's got to really work out his next step at every single point of the journey mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that I think is and, you know people have said this is really intense and I think I think I think that's what it is more than anything it's it is darker but it's it's in the, it, there's an intensity to this movie because you know because things are felt and they're real and there's nothing kind of violent in it that's gratuitous it's yeah, it's yeah. you know it's actually it's it's there for a purpose so i actually really think it's still a family movie probably not for like four or five year olds but definitely for sort of eight upwards i would say you know it's not you know it's not a kind of pg it's it's a pg13 in the sense that yeah pg13 means basically if you've got older siblings you watch what your older siblings go and say do you know what i mean so you know if you're eight or nine you're going to yeah. watch of pg13 aren't you yeah, really well pg13 also means that you're allowed one f-bomb so did you we think have- about having <laughs> shere khan drop a, that drop a cheeky been, that would have been quite good benedict's shere khan <laughs> f-bombing would have been really cool so this movie no movie is made inside a, a bubble 
And this movie obviously was announced, I think, before Disney's Jungle Book. Way, way before. Way before. And you were casting around the same time as well. That movie clearly had an effect on on this one. Can you can you talk us through that and 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 the impact of of that film? Well, yeah, I mean, so our film was commissioned. Um, well, I, I came on board in two thousand and thirteen, and it is obviously it was a mature script by then. It had been, so it'd been for a while. Yeah. It had been like two years, I yeah. think, in in development before before I came on board. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, this this is the interesting thing. We. we Warner Brothers were committed to making this version and it wasn't kind of we were not making a version because that was in reaction to anything at that point it was yeah. we were making this version and then um, and then it was announced that Disney were, were going to make theirs um, so obviously there was a, uh, some sort of you know m- muscling on between two studios uh, wanting to be the first and there was a race um, I think I kind of once I knew that was happening, uh, I realised that uh, it wasn't going to affect me that much as a filmmaker because I knew that that they were going to be making a version which had to, by definition, because it was a Disney movie, be a mm. four quadrant family film with the songs and with the dancing with the songs animals and was, and yeah. was likely going to emulate. It was a live action remake of the nineteen sixty seven animation, whereas yeah. ours was nothing to do with that whatsoever. Um, but. As these things happen, and look, it's not the first time it's happening on, where in Hollywood where you know you start, you know, there are two, you know, like yeah. two buses coming along at the same time. You were the deep impact of their Armageddon, exactly. And it's happened countless yeah. times. Um, but then it became people became fascinated with the, you know, the the, the 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 rumble in the jungle. You know, it was kind of like. <laughs> They, it was just like who's going to get there first every time we announced it seemed that Disney were announcing every time they announced we were announcing you know it's just it was kind of a bit of a crazy time but yeah. we just sort of all boxed on and and uh, it finally we just thought we because we were using facial performance capture and we were re- the design of our animals was very specific and we wanted to because the movie is from Mowgli's point of view um, and also the design of our animals were based on the lithographs of the original Jungle Book, mm-hmm. uh, where they're more, if you like, sketched and imagined in it from, from the artist's point of view rather than documentary uh, David Attenborough slash, you know, uh, Animal Planet. Yes, photo real animals. Yes. you yes. know. So there was always that sense of it being, you know, through the lens of a of a nineteenth century biologist, or, or, or you know that yeah, that was yeah, what yeah. I wanted to do, to license talking animals because I didn't. I thought the idea of the idea of kind of doing a voice booth performance and then putting it on top of an animation of a really photorealistic tiger, the voices just wouldn't sit for me inside it. So, so, so the design of the animals and the, and actually having actors play the roles on set, you know, great actors, we had Christian Bale and Kate Blanchett and, you know, Benedict and all of those, you know, Naomi Harris, brilliant cast of actors, all acting with Rowan Chand. But to get those facial performances and the design of those animals took took a long time. So we we just backed off the race and just went. You know, the Disney version can have their moment, and then we'll we'll finish our film in in due course. It is interesting as well that uh, you're talking about that. The sort of the I always struggle saying this word, but the anthropomorphization. I nearly got there. Oh, of I screwed it up anyway. But <laughs> it's fine. I'll just I'll I'll, I'll edit it in post. Uh, of the animals is really interesting. There's a moment where Shere Khan almost raises his paw to his face and scratches his cheek Absolutely. with his claw, which is a very human yep. tick. 
Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, we wanted to put that in, because, and, and that's his dodgy claw as well. That's his lame, uh, yeah. lame um, paw. And, but, and Benedict did that. And we thought, and there was, a, you know, that, that raised, interesting that you raised that, because it's like, well, is that overstepping the mark? Is that making him too human? Or is it, uh, but it, actually it was about character. And that, for me, is much more interesting than than a photo real tiger just standing with two paws down and 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 you know it, it looking more real. You know, yeah. this was real in the internal logic of our movie. You mentioned there as well that uh, that Toby Emmerich came back and asked you to complete the movie because this movie was fragmented in a way. Yeah, you know, breathe happened in in its entirety. I believe that's right. After you started work on this one, no, absolutely, which is yeah. which is great, which is it's incredible, but also crazy. Um, and there was a period when you were not off the project, but you were stepping back from the project a little bit to focus on breathe. Is that, is that correct? Well, it, it, which was actually a relatively short period of time yeah. where the, yeah, there was uh, in reaction to the Disney version, Warners were a, a little bit like, oh, we, this, how are we going to position, how are we going to message this movie now? Uh, given that the, the other version had, you know, done very, very well at the box office. Um, and I think it shook them. And I think that the, the studio was in a fragile state anyway. And uh, because of the other things, that were going on and, and so that I think there was a lot of fear mm. um, and so there, there were kind of uh, while they were sort of getting themselves back together I, I, I took a step back mm. and said when when you've decided that you want to let me finish this movie in the way that I want to finish it <laughs> then then uh, I'm going to come back on so there was a little bit of a period where where we thought well we'll go off we then were very fortunate in that Andrew Garfield and Claire Foy became available yes. and we had the finance very quickly together to make Breathe which we then shot um, and after that, which only you know, it, we we raised the money in seven weeks, shot it in seven weeks, and then, and then I was in the edit um, on it when when I then heard back from Warner Brothers that yes, we want you to come back onto the movie and and finish it in the way you set off. So so it was. Uh, you know, it was a relatively short period in the in the five years span of making this movie. Yes, and that was the uh, the moment when Alfonso Cuaron became briefly. He came involved. on. He came on for I think about two weeks because they wanted they <laughs> they uh, you know they wanted to do a they wanted to familyize it a bit I think yeah. and not not to take anything away from Alfonso we, we had one conversation on the phone um, and I think he came in and uh, and I was like okay look let's just see I wanted to be open to it just to see what they were what they were interested in doing and then um, and then very quickly it became apparent that they nobody were quite nobody was quite agreeing and mm. that it wasn't going to go forward so so then Alfonso went left and and then you know then I came back on fair enough uh, are you a football guy Andy I'm an Arsenal supporter so I'm not sure if that's a yes <laughs> and uh, I was very pleased the other night <laughs> I'm sure you were. I'm sure my wife was also an Arsenal fan. Uh, yeah, she was pretty happy as well. Uh, so you, you'll know then that whenever uh, a lot of players become managers, they will often say, oh, yeah, so uh, I played for Alex Ferguson, so I'm going to take a little bit of Alex Ferguson. I'm going to take a little bit of Fabio Capello. Uh, but I'm going to be my own man, obviously. But I'm going to take what they, the best of them and try and blend it into something new. Is yeah. it the same with, with directing? Whenever you step into directing... You know, is it a lot of Andy Serkis, but a little bit of Peter Jackson, a little bit of Steven Spielberg? <laughs> I wish. Um, 
Look, of course, of course, but I do that. You do that as an actor, anyway. You know, you work with all these different directors. You work with different, you know, different methodologies, different people, different processes. You work with different actors with different processes, and the whole, the whole, you know, the artistic community of magpies, and we all steal <laughs> off each other. And you know, uh, of course, you do. There are shots from homages. You know, I'm sure that Stephen and Peter will will have, have done exactly the same thing. And <laughs> you know, you do. You steal shots. You steal yeah. ideas. Is you still, but it's the idea basically that that in order to tell your story, you're you're informed by so many previous. You're sta- you are standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, yeah. I mean, yes, no, it was but, certainly with Peter, uh, I hold my hands up and go. I was a, uh, he was a he was my, a mentor for he was. I was serving his vision when I was second unit director on the Hobbit. How can I possibly not <laughs> learn from him? Um, but does that mean does that translate to behaviour on set? For example, for example, first day in this movie, do you think? Okay, deep breath. What would Peter Jackson do? First shot of the day. What would he do? How would he behave? How would he talk to his, you know, lieutenants? What would he do? Or is it very much like, no, I'm my own man, Brian. I, don't, <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't have time to to think about Peter on the first day because, uh, <laughs> you know, I was. Uh, Were you in the first? No, I, I mean, I, the the great thing about having done that second unit directing mm. job, and and this is Peter's words were, you know, Andy, you know, I'm. I'd love you to do this. I want you to direct the second unit because there's going to be a lot of traffic between first and second unit with the, with the main cast. And I want you to look after the performances and you're going to learn such a lot and you'll be able to iron. These were his words. You'll iron out all of your kinks, you know, whilst doing this for 200 days, um, which I, which I did. So, uh, you know, I was, as, as I've said, I think to you before, I didn't get to make the, my first sort of small auteur movie with three actors in two rooms. I actually was, found myself on my first day of directing a huge crew, 250 whatever crew, shooting at 48 frames a second with native 3D um, for 200 days, shooting everything from close-ups of Ian McKellen to, uh, you know, being in a helicopter for 10 weeks to shooting extraordinary battle bit, pieces of battle sequences to barrels to, but you know, it was just like a monster film education. Best YTS scheme ever. It, yeah, t- absolutely. That is extraordinary. I and mean, it's extraordinary. And I'll be forever thankful for that. Um, so it fully equipped me to, to, I, th- I don't think, I don't think there's anything that I faced on that, that 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 I knew that I that that, that I wasn't able to handle, kind uh-huh. of, sort of helming this. Fantastic. So, what what are you handling next? What's what's, what's well, we we are about to um, we're, we're we're making Animal Farm mm-hmm. finally, mm-hmm. Um, another long long project. Uh, but we are making that with Netflix, uh, which we're very excited about. And actually, that that deal was sort of in progress before the acquisition. So, oh, yeah, serendipitous. So it's yeah. it's all coming together. Are you going to be in that as well? Is that I probably won't be in this one actually. Oh, yeah. you'd be a good Napoleon. Well, <laughs> I've got someone better in mind. There's no one better. <laughs> Ridiculous. Until you announce it, they go, oh, okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Circus has always been a pleasure. Uh, fantastic. Thanks so much, Thanks, Thank Chris. You. Cheers. Okay, so that was Andy Circus, and now let's get on with some movie news. And, I have uh, some news for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've, uh, we've got an Oscar host. They've announced one. It's Kevin Hart. Isn't that exciting? I've yeah. got some news for you. Oh, what is it, Helen? Uh, he's not going to host the Oscars anymore. Right. <laughs> well, that was a roller coaster. Glad we covered that. <laughs> Phew. That was a whirlwind 72 seconds, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, this was uh, Kevin Hart, who was announced as the latest host for the Academy Awards, only to, shall we say, step back from that post after his uh, Twitter feed was necroed and, and publicised and, and used to make him step down. 
Did you read the tweets? I was not able to see the tweets because the BBC just, the, did not post them. I mean, they're not just tweets. They are basically just a Twitter summary of a stand-up routine that he did. Mm. The, the, the gist of the routine is basically, and this is from a few years ago, him saying as a, as a father, he doesn't want his son to be gay. And as a heterosexual male, he's going to do everything he possibly can to stop his son being gay. So when his son, who's just like a little kid, three or four years old, starts doing, quote-unquote, gay stuff, he leaps in at the time. Uh, and it's a routine I think it actually would work if it were framed in a way that made him really look bigoted. You know what I mean? Mm. And so the joke is on him, mm. yeah. but it's not. The joke is literally about gay people. I see. And so... It's yeah. it's a little bit or a lot bit uh, over the over the line, uh, and uh, and he has been unrepentant about this until about six hours ago yeah. when he was very repentant about it. Uh, he took to Instagram yesterday because there was a there was a contretemps about this and uh, a furore, and people were up in arms. And uh, he was he took to Instagram yesterday to record a video, basically saying I've changed. It was a long time ago. I think it was twenty ten. And, you know, I'm a different person now and I'm in love with the man I am becoming, yes. which is an amazing That's quote. A very odd turn of phrase, isn't it? <laughs> it's an amazing quote. And uh, he said, I'm not going to apologize for it. You have to accept that I have changed. And, you know, there, and if, it, if the Oscars don't happen, then que sera, sera. That's paraphrased. And then today he announced, he said, I, I, I'd like to apologize <laughs> to, to the LGBTQ community and um, uh, I will no longer be hosting the Oscars. He was basically told, wasn't he, to make a public apology by the Academy, was my understanding. Yeah. And he told them no and then backed out of it and yet kind of did a half-hearted apology anyway. Yeah, I mean, we're not privy to what's been going on, but I imagine he's had a lot of people inside his ear the last few days yeah. going, Kevin, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in his statement, he basically said he didn't want to take the the, fo- the, the, the focus and the spotlight away from all the people uh, who are going to be up for Oscars on the night, many of whom, of course, will be playing uh, LGBTQ characters. Mm. Do you think it's it kind of it goes back to the James Gunn thing a little bit? It's like, and especially with stand-up comics, stand-up comics by their nature tend to say very outrageous shit. Like Sarah Silverman in particular, her routines were extraordinarily close to the bone sort of 10, 15 years ago. And obviously now she's headlining Disney, Disney movies and whatnot. And it's just like, I don't know, I, 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 don't know I, I genuinely don't know what the correct path is in this. Mm. Uh, I would have thought I get hosting the awards is probably a slightly different thing. But. I, I just think I think people would have let this go had there been the slightest bit of contrition on his part. Yeah, yeah. maybe so. And also, if he true. did that stand-up routine now, it would clearly not be acceptable in the slightest. But and I think he knows that. I think yeah. he's smart enough to know that. But. Yeah. Anyway, so now we have the exciting wait for another Oscar host. Um, no idea who it is. It has become seen as I think a bit of a poison chalice in recent yeah. years, and I'm not sure who is going to particularly want it because they want someone who will benefit them. And the only people right now who would host the Oscars are people who are going to benefit from it rather than bring something to it. And I'm not sure who that leaves, really. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Interestingly, the Golden Globes hosts uh, this week were announced as Sandra Oh and... Um, I was about to say Jake Peralta, that's wrong, <laughs> Andy Samberg, um, which I think is, is a really exciting pairing. I think she's fantastic. Um, he's obviously a very, very funny guy, but also, I think importantly, he's a very funny guy who doesn't mind sharing the spotlight, which I think you need to do as a co-host. So I'm kind of excited mm. to see what they do. For yeah. The- uh, no, it, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think you need to get someone who's really, obviously someone who's got a really squeaky clean record. Mm. Superman might be the best person to do this. Or 
And it's also how super needs to be fun to watch as well. Yeah. And unfortunately, really good people have hosted the Oscars and not done a great job uh, in the past. So, I mean, I think it's a difficult thing to pull off because the Oscars can be very long-winded and tedious. So, you know, and you really have to balance that and you've got to bring levity to it and you've got to maybe f- make it feel pacey and yeah. fun. Uh, without singing a song about seeing people's boobs for the love of Christ. That that was a disaster. They they should just they should just every year they should perform a comedian at the Oscars until the Oscars starts um, nominating comedians instead because that was honestly the highlight I think of my Oscar viewing over the past twenty years. I think that was amazing. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, go look it up. A comedian at the Oscars performed by Will Ferrell and Jack Black and John C. Riley, and it's I don't think I've seen it's that. It's glorious. Have you not? Oh, you have. You must have done. Have I? It's so good. Okay. I don't anyway. know. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. But uh, enough talk about the Oscars. Yes, let's move um, on. So the Golden Globe nominations were announced yesterday, and we at the Empire Podcast are obviously going to give them the time that the Golden Globes fully deserves. Anyway, on to Bond uh, news now. Uh, it was announced today that uh, by Baz Bammy Boy, the great Baz Bammy Boy, uh, who knows his Bond onions, his Bonions. Uh, and he has announced that Lea Seydoux is going to return for Bond 25 as Dr. Madeline Swan. And this is what I wanted to bring up. And I think, Helen, yes. get your soapbox out. It's, it's an older actor and a younger lady, but uh, it's also Bond. It's, it, this is in your wheelhouse. Well, Go. Yeah, this is actually um, not the most offensive thing, because at least it's Bond not treating women as being completely disposable and completely changing them up from <laughs> film to film. Until she gets fridged in the first 20 minutes. And well, then it's that her is swan song. Oh, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Listen, they may well do that. And uh, I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you actually... You want this to be the news, the casting news, and they don't announce if there's another Bond girl. Because if they announce any other woman right now, we're going to be like, well, they're them. So it was nice playing with you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. Sorry you're dead now. Um, but uh, yeah, so, and also it, it would be nice because then we wouldn't have to go through all the, you know, tabloid stories about the new Bond girl, which are so tedious to me and a large part of the reason that I don't like this franchise. Um, we're also obviously hearing that Ray Fiennes is back then, Ben Wishaw's back, obviously, is Q, and uh, Naomi Harris is Moneypenny, so that's that's all good news as well. But um, The gang's all here. The gang is all here. So, you know, let's... Well, this is... Let's hope that this is a step in the right direction. I mean, she's sure she's half his age, but, you know... At least she's two years older than the last Bond girl. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think this is kind of interesting. I don't know where they're going to go with it. I would hope that the director, Kari Joji Fukunaga, he knows his onions. He's not his Bond onions, his Bonions. <laughs> He's not going to be someone who fridges someone in, in the first 20 minutes. Uh, so her presence in this movie intrigues me. Uh, are they going to try and make a fist of Bond Stop it, James. Are they going to try to get a fist of Bond actually having a long-term relationship with someone? Or is, are they now just friends? Is this a Ross Rachel type thing? What's, what's going to happen? Fuck buddies. <laughs> you never know. Um, or are they, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but uh, the, the casting of, of her and the return of Fines and Wishaw and Harris sets us up very much as a continuation of Skyfall and Spectre. Yeah. And that's kind of what Fukunaga said. He said, um, Bond is on a character arc that started with Casino Royale and I will be carrying that on. So that does suggest some kind of continuity and and grand overarching Mm. story, which would make sense then for her to be um, returning. Strong and stable leadership, if you will. No, absolutely not. Does that that worry you, though, slightly? Because Spectre was not well received. I I still think the first hour is pretty terrific. It falls off a cliff big time once... 
Christoph Waltz turns up as Bluefield. Yeah, it does. Very much so. Maybe you can salvage bits from the wreckage and, and mm. jettison the rest. Yeah. Maybe. Christoph Waltz, namely. Well, pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, we're excited. Sure. Yeah. There's been sequel news this week. Uh, Aquaman's sequel is in early development, um, mm. based, I think, chiefly on the good word of mouth so far um, about Aquaman. I think we're going to be talking about that next week, Chris. Is that correct? That is correct, Helen, and also in our Aquaman spoiler special podcast with director James Wan spilling the beans on Aquaman. That will be out whatever the next Monday is. <laughs> in Spain, is it called Aquaman? Supongo que sí. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've never seen it. Sí, sí, ya volví. Brilliant. Uh, also in sequel news, uh, the Crazy Rich Asian sequels. Uh, yes, the yes. two of them are to shoot back to back, which makes a lot of sense because it's a very big cast to get together. So uh, just do them at once. But, I'm all in for that. Yeah, it's going to be fun, I think. Um, the, the, the follow-up books are interesting. They move a little bit away from uh, Rachel and Nick, our original sort of uh, twosome, uh, into the, the wider circle of their friends and so on. So um, Gemma Chan's character um, gets a lot more to do in this one. It's going to be, yes. it's going to be kind of widening out and broadening I read the story. today the Wikipedia summaries of both those books. Yeah. And they go... Bonkers. Oh, there's all sorts of like, you know, international intrigue, yeah, it's a like little bit of a murder, murder plot. Yeah, you know. Jinx. <laughs> Helen, Helen now can't. Oh, fuck. I said her name. Now she, <laughs> now she, now she can speak. <laughs> so you've, you've, you've messed that up. 40 ruined the jinx. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to be, yeah, that's exciting. Exciting. So, yeah, yeah, shall, we, um, yeah. shall we move on to uh, the big uh, trailer news of the week? I mean, the big trailer news of the week is probably going to happen at yeah. some point while I'm editing minute. this. Well, isn't there? A, there's people are also saying that there's a Spider-Man trailer that's, that's imminent. Yes, and I'm fascinated to see what, if anything, will be in that trailer because presumably it will just be ash blowing in the wind. Well, you for, monster for a minute and a half. You monster. Well, interestingly, this week uh, Jake Gyllenhaal joined um, Instagram. Instagram and yeah. revealed yes that he's a bit shocked he isn't playing Spider-Man, basically, um, <laughs> and that he's uh, disturbed to be playing Mysterio. I really recommend looking him up on Instagram because it's actually quite a funny little clip. That's exciting Spider-Man news. So yes, a Spider-Man Homecoming sequel trailer, not to be confused with the other Spider-Man news in the news at the moment about the <laughs> Spider-Verse, um, maybe coming this week. Um, yes. Story goes that the Avengers trailer we're all actually, like, we need, like... Like I'm like I've had the shakes for three days now. It's we really need it. I'm the I've, I've gone the other direction, Helen. Uh huh. I don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. I genuinely don't want to see it. Okay. I know I'll have to see it, and time permitting, there may be an Avengers trailer breakdown sure. podcast listening, waiting for people by the time you know they hear this <laughs> almost. But I, I kind of want to go into this film knowing as little about it as possible. Given that I would be writing about it for Empire, that's yeah, going to make it pretty problematic. But yeah. yeah. It's it's go, um, but, but it was uh, the, the the story goes it was going to come out on Wednesday and then they basically pushed it because Bush's uh, George Bush's funeral uh, got in the way. Well, there you go. Yeah. But there was a trailer this week. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So by the time people listen to this, there'll be three trailers maybe. But anyway, yes. let's focus on one we know is definitely out, and that is Captain Marvel. Okay. Uh, now I enjoyed this trailer. Uh, because I am looking forward to the film, because it is an MCU film, and will therefore be brilliant. However, this was perhaps not the best trailer. It set... I don't know. There was some, Something wasn't quite right for me, and I think it was maybe summed up in the last shot, where uh, it, it very CGI-heavy, very space-heavy, and it felt a little DCEU rather than MCU in terms of vibe, and that troubled me slightly. I disagree. That is fine. 
But I really, really like the space stuff, actually. I just thought that looked mm. really super cool. Um, mm. So I was kind of interested to see that. I'm, I'm, I'm still not quite clear on the story, um, and I don't think this made it any clearer if I anything I think it's quite lesser. dense. It looks like it's going to be a dense one. Yeah, it does a bit, potentially. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of enjoyed everything that's there, and I like her, so I'm kind of... Who I'm, doesn't? I'm I mean, her. she's great. Well, yeah, she's great. And she has a variety of rather fun looks in mm. this as well, and I enjoyed her beating up an old woman on the train as well. Well, that's, of course you did. Yeah. Yes, the trailer came out, and... It, it, it filled in a little bit more about the story. I think a little bit it introduced the word Skrulls for the first time in mm. this trailer. I thought this was going to be the final trailer for Captain Marvel. Clearly it is not. We heard Ben Mendelsohn as the chief baddie talk for the first time. We heard Jude Law talk for the first time yep. in this movie. We heard mm. him talk before. Uh, <laughs> no big surprise. Uh, and we got a little bit more of a hint of the relationship between uh, Carol Danvers, Brie Larson and Sam Jackson's Nick Fury. We got to squee over the Cree. <laughs> we did. Yeah, that was we fun. Did. Enjoyed yeah. a bit of that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very interstellary. Oh. No, not the film, Helen. I mean, literally. Mm. I, I I liked the trailer. I didn't love the trailer, but um, I don't think it had quite the impact that the first trailer did. Yeah. But, you know, listen. Yeah. We, 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 and we, we know have that faith. Nick Fury is a cat person, which, you know, is a, is, a, is a bit of a surprise to me, but I suppose it does make sense. Mm. Sly, untrustworthy things. Yeah. I did a poll earlier on this week about how Fury loses his eye, and a lot of people said that the cat was going to scratch it out. That was not an option in the poll. <laughs> uh, unfortunate dildo mishap was the winner, uh, so there's still time for Marvel to put that in there. Wow, that would be a, a, a change. Uh, that would be a real, uh, yeah, okay. Dick Super Fury, good. if you will. No. Nope. <laughs> Shall we end it there and move on to I reviews? I think we probably should, okay. yes. And now let us talk about, sorry to bother you, sorry to bother you, James Dyer, but I actually have to ask you to talk about a film. Are oh. you okay? Are you going to be okay doing this bit? You I mean, somebody to hold your hand? Massive spoiler, I actually watched it. <laughs> I saw a film. For the podcast and everything. Oh, it's extraordinary. Uh, yes, this is Did you in fact, trip and fall and accidentally watch it? What happened? actually exactly what happened. I tripped and fell and I woke up, I was in a screening and it was on and I was that's extraordinary, so I stayed. Well, I'm here now. Might or it well. might have been a dream and given the nature of the film, I can't rule that out. <laughs> so this is, on the face of it, the story of uh, Cassius Green, though no, it's pronounced Cassius Green or Cassius Green. Cassius Green. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, played by Lakeith Stanfield and he is a down-on-his-luck unemployed person who gets a job in a call centre essentially doing telesales. Uh, it takes place in a kind of weird sort of almost dystopian alternate vision of America and it's at its very heart an anarchic surrealist somewhat macabre satire of race consumerist culture and modern America but essentially through the lens of telesales as all great satire should be yes so what he does is he is struggling in his telesales job and uh, he is advised by a fellow worker played by Danny Glover yep. that he would do better if he used a white voice yeah so he uses a white voice which is dubbed entirely by a different actor indeed is David, it Pat Oswalt or Steve Pat Oswalt does uh, Amari Hardwick's voiceover okay yeah okay he does a white voice and then rises very, very quickly through the corporate uh, ranks and comes to the attention of Army Hammer's eccentric and possibly sinister billionaire. They're showing that his advancement is obviously limited by the fact that he's black and the second that people believe he's white, suddenly the sky's the limit and he becomes ridiculously successful. Uh, and the sort of the whole white voice thing is something that's been lampooned by 
black comedians famously for years. Eddie Murphy uh, and Richard Pryor. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and it is genuinely very funny, but it takes a very dark turn, and to talk about it in detail would obviously be to ruin it. It is not in any way what it seems, and it certainly doesn't go where you expect it to go. It goes completely batshit. I really liked this. I thought it was very distinctively told. Like it felt like a Michel Gondry film, actually. In fact, Gondry's kind of punned on at one point in the film. I think he's a really interesting voice, and he told this story very well. I My only, perhaps, slight criticism of it is it left me slightly emotionally cold. Like you, I felt you didn't really care a great deal for these characters. I didn't think they were hugely... You didn't warm to them that much. They weren't hugely likable. So they told a very effective story mm-hmm. and they held a very effective mirror up to society, but I didn't root for them. So I think if for that reason alone, I kind of, I wasn't as, you know, up on this as perhaps I could have been. But I thought it was very, very good. It's definitely worth seeing because it's incredibly original uh, and a very interesting story. But yeah, also yeah. nuts. I think this is a startling debut. I, mm. I can't wait to see where he goes. I think he's 47 now, Boots Riley, and mm. he's been trying to make movies for a long, long time. And this just feels like the, the a movie made by a man who just thinks this might be my only chance to make a movie. So I'm going to throw everything, everything I possibly can at the wall. And not all of it sticks, but what does is dazzling. Uh, visually and structurally, he tries things here that are just, mm. especially in the budget that he had, kind of, kind of amazing. Uh, and I applaud that. I always love it when filmmakers swing for the fences, as they say. Yeah, I, I really like this. I uh, don't think it'll be to everyone's taste. It certainly goes really weird in the, in the third act <laughs> with uh, some plot developments that will leave people cold. Uh, but I think the performances are great. The Keith Sanfield is uh, a, a wonderful proxy for the audience. You know, he is, you know, he has a suitable uh, level of bewilderment all the way through the movie. And uh, yeah, I cannot wait to see what Boots Riley did. I think this man's confidence is astonishing. Uh, so he had a, he had a very public spat with Spike Lee about Black Klansman, and then they met at an award ceremony a few weeks ago. And uh, Boots Riley tweeted something along the lines of that he and Spike had met, and you know they'd complimented each other. And Spike Lee had said, "You're Miles Davis," and Boots Riley went on Twitter. He went, "I'm not Miles Davis. I'm Jimi Hendrix," and I just. <laughs> I don't know the last time I saw a filmmaker come along with that sort of confidence. You know what I mean? It's just to go, it's my first film, but I am the greatest guitar player of all time. And I kind of love that about it. So there we go. Four stars then for Sorry to Bother You. And next up we have, this could be, oh, the farewell of Robert Redford from the big screen. Maybe. 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 Yes, the Old uh, Man and the Gun. The Old Man and the Gun. It is, uh, he has said it will be his last film as an actor, at least. Um, mm-hmm. uh Although, I mean, you know, if you came up with something really good, maybe we could get him back. But it, as it stands, I think it's a wonderful note to go out on. Um, he plays a real-life figure who was um, an absolutely unrepentant, dyed-in-the-wool bank robber, like, for life. Like, he was first arrested uh, in his pre-teens, and he just didn't stop until he was in his 80s, uh, and, which is, of course, essentially where we meet him in this story. He occasionally does jobs with two old buddies, played by Danny Glover and Tom Waits. It's Danny is, Glover week, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good, if you can get it. Um, and uh, and he, he, he strikes up a relationship with a, with a widow who lives on her own farm. He's played by Sissy Spacek. Um, but really, it's just about the kind of the joy of doing what you were put on this earth to do, uh, no matter how... I don't know, illegal it might be. Um, and, and it's kind of a wonderful note to for, for Redford to go out on. Obviously, it plays on, you know, the, the, the films that we saw him in, the, the great films of the past, things like The Sting, things like, obviously, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's playing on, on lots of... Lions his, for Lambs. 
Very, very, very much, much so. So, so much lines for limes up. in there. I liked lines for limes. I think I was the only one. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's just, so it does play on the, that stuff. It even uses some of his old headshots as mug shots. Um, oh. But uh, it's it's just it's a really charming film, and it just reminds you how charming he is, and and how daring as well, because it's not you know a normal sort of crime film at all. Uh, Casey Affleck plays the cop who's trying to stop him. Uh, good luck with that. And uh, <laughs> and it's just it's 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 just a, a lovely. Film. It's, I, I guess, a, a comedy, but not also not. It's kind of a drama. I don't know. I don't know how to define it. Where would you rank it in terms of David Lowry's films? I'd rank it up towards the top, but then I was not a fan of Ghost Story, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, didn't love Ain't Them Bodies Saints. I think this is, you know, the, they obviously worked together before on Pete's Dragon. Yeah. So this is at the more accessible end of his movie-making spectrum like that. But at the same time, it doesn't feel quite as conventional frankly as that did I mean it was a very it was a very sweet good conventional film but it was a, a, a conventional piece of storytelling and this is a little bit more off to one side um, but yeah I really really enjoyed this who knows maybe David Lowry maybe he's found at this late stage of his life maybe he's found a, a collaborator that he can work with and who knows Lowry might come up with something else and Let's hope drag so. him back in he's yeah. doing Gawain and the Green Knight this is his next movie so you never know you never know so. I mean look this is something that I think um, Redford essentially brought to him so maybe he'll read another article in a magazine and think hey you know this could work too David Absolutely. have a look how much is a pint of milk look at this <laughs> look at this adapted into a film David Lowry he would say Four stars down for The Old Man and the Gun. Very exciting. Uh, up next, we have a Matthew McConaughey film directed by Jan Demange, who was, of course, one of the frontrunners for Bond 25. Not anymore, though, but he has directed White Boy Rick, Hell's Bells. This is the story of the FBI's youngest ever informer, who was basically, as a teenager, essentially pressurized by the police, the local police in Detroit and the FBI, to work for them as an informant on a gang of drug dealers. Um, his sister was was mixed up in it. She was a user, um, and his father was a down on his luck. He's played by here, here by Matthew McConaughey. He just kind of got swept up in it uh, to rather bad outcomes, let's say. <laughs> okay. um, this is based on a true story, and it, as such, it doesn't have a neat progression. Let's say it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a three act structure thing. It's not a traditional three act mm. structure, and as such, that can be quite frustrating because it kind of feels like it wants to be, and yet it doesn't have that payoff that you maybe want at the end. But but you know, good performances. Uh, Richie Merritt is the newcomer as as Rick himself. Um, he's re- he's really pretty good. Um, Matthew McConaughey's great as his slightly eccentric sort of, you know hustler kind of dad and you've got Belle Powley who's always good as his sister um, great great uh, supporting cast as well this is one of those films that uh, adheres to the uh, current advice that you should have Brian Tyree Henry and everything uh, so thankfully he's in there as a, as a Detroit cop you've got Jennifer Jason Lee as one of the um, FBI agents as well so really really good people but yeah just something slightly frustrating about it Slightly frustrating about it, which, but you know, three stars. Three stars. I mean, three stars. Good performances. You know, well shot, beautifully, Mm -hmm. sort of atmospheric. But yeah, just something not quite for me. And you never guess what we always say in the podcast. What do we say on the podcast? We always say three stars. You should go and see it, or something like I don't know. Very hard, very hard to remember. Three stars indeed. Then for White Boy Rick. Uh, also out this week is is Mowgli. You can see it on the big screen at certain cinemas around the country and also on Netflix. Uh, we gave it two stars. Ollie Richard reviewed this for the magazine. I had more of a good time with it. Uh, it is not John Favreau's A Jungle Book. Uh, it, it 
doesn't look the same as Andy Serkis said in the interview there. He, you know, they've based the animals very much on the original illustrations. They're not trying to be photoreal animals. It's a darker film than the Jungle Book. Any iteration, I think, even the Jason Scott Lee one from a few years ago that you will have seen. Uh, so, if you are planning to show it, maybe to your youngins, I would say be mindful of that. Yeah. But. Uh, We gave it two stars, but hey, check it out this weekend and see what you think. Uh, And by the way, if you're wondering where our reviews of Aquaman and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse are, we'll review them on next week's show. Uh, They're out on Wednesday. Spider-Man previews this weekend. You can go see it and do go see it because it is fantastic. We gave it five stars. It is worth every single one of those. It is unlike any animated film you will have ever seen. That's a promise. And Aquaman is also, I think we can say it now, it's... A demented blast. <laughs> uh, it is. We gave that three stars, but we'll review those in depth next week and we'll get into them in greater depth in our spoiler specials as well. They'll be coming your way also. Uh, also next week in terms of specials, Creed 2 spoiler special is coming your way. Try to get it up this week. Uwar, Finar, Mrs. Couldn't, man- couldn't manage it, you know, Uwar, certain age, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, but I'm going to try and get it up, Uwar, over the weekend, uh, for your pleasure, Finar, and uh, <laughs> you'll have some... Wow. Uh, you'll have some fun with that. I went full Finbar Saunders now. <laughs> I did a little bit, didn't I? Uh, and uh, there'll be other stuff up next week as well. So there we go. And that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined for the second time in a month by PJ... Oh, Peter Jackson, Sir Peter Jackson himself and Philippa Boyens, uh, his long-term co-writer. And they're going to be in to talk about mortal engines, Tunbridge wheels and all. How exciting. Uh, also in that episode may be the League of Gentlemen. All four of them, Reese Shearsmith, Steve Pemberton, Jeremy Dyson and Mark Gatiss. But that might also become a special, so keep and peel for that one as well. Until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me... Because uh, we're going to leave this week's goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Yeah, I just wanted to dedicate this week's episode to a friend of mine, um, Ronan Rafferty, who died in the uh, Storm Diana last week in Dublin. Um, he is—he was honestly one of the funniest people I've known in my entire life, and uh, he will be much, much missed by all of his friends and his family. So just a little shout-out to Ronan. Bite you, E-man, and uh, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.